chapter 17, verses 22 to 31. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and observed your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. John chapter 14, verses 15 to 21. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, And he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Funny what you miss when you can't have it, isn't it? Some people are apparently missing their daily commute, even though it was on packed public transport. 
They're discovering that they miss that space to read, to think, to switch into work mode. And at the end of the day, they miss the space to disconnect from work, to wind down, to switch off. Children are surprised to find themselves missing school. Time with friends, teachers, doing things, learning things, playing games, being properly hungry when they get home. Many people, particularly those living alone, miss touch, a handshake, a comforting hug, a kiss on the cheek or the lips. We need physical contact with each other. Even those of us who have been locked down with people we love are missing others whom we can now only see on a screen. Parents, grown-up children, friends, colleagues. We miss playing football with the team more than we miss the ball. And I think we are all missing any sense of certainty, from whether Polly and Sam can get married this summer to whether there will still be a job for us when this is all over. If it ever is all over. A protected space, friends, comfort, companionship, security. This is what we find we miss. And it's funny what you notice when you have time to look about you, isn't it? Paul is in Athens without his friends, unable to do what he usually does in a new town, which is go straight to the synagogue and start teaching. Just like how in lockdown we spotted interesting hidden corners near where we live, which we'd never noticed before, Paul has time to gaze about him and spots the unexpected, an altar to an unknown God. Now, the Greeks were really good at religion. They had lots of gods and lots of temples. And you could pick the one or more you liked and worship the way you liked. But they still had a sneaking suspicion. They might not have got everything covered. There was a gap, a need, a sense that something was missing. They couldn't see the true God. They didn't know the true God, but they felt his absence. Hence, this altar, just in case there was more to life. Jesus is talking about the same sense of missing something to his disciples. They were all Jews, and the Jews knew the true God, and they were good at religion too. Although you had to worship the way the Pharisees liked to make the grade. But, like the Greeks, the Jews knew they were missing something. They were waiting for the Messiah to come, to fulfil all God's promises to his people. But some of them were so busy concentrating on their religion, they missed the Messiah when he came. They just saw Jesus, who defined their expectations. They didn't recognise their own God, the God of love, because they were so focused on following God's law. But there were some who, when they took time to gaze upon him, realised the Messiah, their Saviour, was right there in front of their eyes. 
It's funny what you miss when you're in a hurry, isn't it? The disciples are in a hurry during the Last Supper. <clears throat> they fire questions at Jesus. Why are you washing my feet? Why don't you wash all of me? Who's going to betray you? Where are you going? Why can't I follow you? How can we get to where you're going? Why don't other people know who you are? Show us the Father. But just as John slows down the pace of his story to share Jesus' words in detail, we need to slow down our reading. We often pass quickly through from the words of comfort we heard last week, in my father's house there are many rooms, to the I am the true vine passage coming up. But slowing down to focus on just these six verses this week, I ended up focusing on just one. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. And I rediscovered what I think I knew before, but had somehow stopped appreciating in my race through life. This word, advocate. The concept can't be fully conveyed by a single word, although advocate is an excellent word. The idea is of someone who is called in to come alongside someone else. The Athenians Paul was talking to might have used it to describe someone who represented a defendant in a serious case, or a witness for the defence, or an expert brought in to give counsel in a tricky situation. It could also mean someone who was called in to encourage soldiers who were losing heart, to bring them courage to return to the battle, which was the meaning of the word comforter in the 14th century when the Bible was first translated into English. And it's funny what you notice when you slow right down, because there's another word here we need to notice. I should say, we need to notice the word another Jesus says his father will send another advocate, which begs the question, who is the first? Well, this word comes in just one other place other than during the Last Supper. In John's first letter, he writes, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not just for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is the first advocate, first comforter, first defender, companion, counsellor, friend, helper, intercessor. He tells the disciples that he has to leave them to be with his father. But his father is going to send another like himself, who is equally God, equally for us, equally love, but who, not being human, can be with each of us all the time, who actually lives in us, giving us spiritual life and breath, just as God the Father gave all things life and breath 
in creation. Wow. Let's pause for a moment to take that in. This wonderful saviour, defender, counsellor, companion, comforter and friend is available for you and me. He wants to be with us, in us, forever. Unaffected by whether we have to stay at home or go to work. Unaffected by crashing economies. He is constant and unfailing. We don't need FaceTime or Zoom to see him or to go through quarantine before we are allowed to be with him. We can be utterly secure in him because he lives in us. But how? Well, Jesus tells us we just have to love and obey him. What obeying Jesus looks like is a whole other sermon. Suffice to say today, it means live a life of love. All we have to do is make that choice to love Jesus and Jesus promises the Spirit lives in us. What amazing grace! Now, there may be some of us who say that we love Jesus we don't feel like the Spirit is living in us. The person next to us in the pew seems to be much more Spirit-filled, more holy, more sorted, happier than us. Well, actually, living a Spirit-filled life is simply believing that God is living in you, irrespective of your feelings, your day-to-day -day sense of God in you. After all, when Jesus sees Thomas after the resurrection, he tells him to believe, not to cheer up. So practice believing. Protect a little of your time each day so that you can turn to God. Lay down your worries and acknowledge his presence. Tell him you love him. Ask him to abide in you and to help you abide in him. Ask him to fill you with his life. Do it for a minute at the start of your daily exercise or your commute. If you can't get out, find an egg timer and give yourself a whole three minutes. If you are an app sort of person, download the pause app from Ransomed Heart to your phone and give it a try. Whatever you do, practice. Practice makes perfect. Isn't it incredible what we can have when we love Jesus?
O Lord, we come to you, not trusting in our own righteousness, but in what the Lord Jesus has done on the cross. We come trusting in his blood, trusting in your holy name, your holy word, and your Holy Spirit. O Lord, as we come to you as your children, we are mindful of our role and responsibility to pray at this time. As it says in Esther, we will not remain silent at this time, for who knows, but that we have come to our position of faith for such a time as this. O Lord, as we come to you to pray for healing for our world, we are reminded of what you say in 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from what is wrong, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and heal their land. So Lord, we come to you as your people, who are called by your name. Thank you that we bear the name of Christ. Lord, we come to you, to humble ourselves. We say we choose to put you and your ways and your word first in our lives. Lord, we come to you to pray, to pray for healing and blessing for our world, Lord, for our land. We pray for your blessing on the NHS and all brave key workers. We pray for your blessing for our queen and heavenly wisdom for all those in government and in authority in all spheres of life, including those who are working so hard to find a COVID-19 vaccine. Lord, we pray for your blessing on your church and for all Christian leaders. Lord, we pray for your blessing on Tim and Jenny and Judith. We pray for your provision and peace for many people who are anxious financially. We pray physical health, mental health, spiritual health, and social health, Lord, around the world. Lord, we pray for your blessing and your presence in all homes and families around the world, in our land, in our city, as we all learn to live and work differently. Lord, we declare our complete dependence on you, Lord, and our belief in your power and your wisdom. Lord, we come to you to seek your face, to turn to you in new determination, to seek you, Lord, even as Esther sought the face of her king. Lord, we seek your healing for our world. Lord, we know that those who seek you will find you. Lord, we come to you to turn from what is wrong. Lord, as we turn to you, we turn away from any ways in our lives which are not in line with you, your word and your ways of love. So Lord, thank you that as we come to you, you promise that you will hear from heaven and you will forgive and you will heal the land. So Lord, we pray for your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. 